Welcome to Embrace Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Accenture. In each of these podcasts, we're diving into some of the key topics affecting the industry today. In this episode, Graham Rothwell, Payments Lead for Africa and Asia Pacific at Accenture, and Mike Aston, Payments Subject Matter Expert, engage with real-time commerce, exploring the confluence of Australia's new payments platform and open banking, and what it means when you combine their capabilities. Hello everyone, my name is Graham Rothwell. I'm based in Melbourne and I'm part of the Accenture Financial Services Practice. I lead our payments practice for Asia Pacific. And with me, I have Mike. Hi, Mike Asson. I'm based in uh, Sydney and uh, one of the payment subject matter experts, part of uh, Graham's team. So, Mike, in February this year, the uh, new payments platform, or MPP, launched in Australia. And it was built on a premise of open innovation around real-time value transfer and real-time data transfer. Do you want to comment on what you think that means for the industry? Yes, look, it's part of a common trend uh, globally, um, but, you know, first time in Australia, um, the ability to actually transfer value in real time with real time settlements. So funds arrive immediately in the payees account. Uh, Traditionally, like many markets, uh, Australia has had a system whereby, particularly if you were sending funds to a a different bank, uh, those funds may not arrive until the following day or if it was over the weekend, they may not arrive until the early stage of the following week. Whereas uh, the new payments platform, MPP, is not only real time, it's 24 seven. So it really brings in a new era of, if you like, just in time funds. Uh, It's not just the payments, the value that transfer, it has information which will transfer in real time. Uh, At one simple level, it means things like the pay, knowing that they have received those funds in real time. Uh, which can be uh, important in certain cases. But also it uses the ISO 20022 message protocol, which now allows a significant amount of data to travel with the payments. Traditionally with uh, the old standard ISO 8583, uh, this was limited to a small number of characters. Now the ability to send uh, lots of data, including uh, potentially images and particularly things like invoices, et cetera. And, and that's a significant advance to the old but reliable schemes that have existed to date. And there's also an aliasing system now too, right? Yes, simple addressing. If you were doing an account to account transfer, uh, typically you would require BSB numbers identifying the bank uh, that the funds are going to and then the account number. Not only do most people not have that information instantly in their head, uh, it's information that understandably People are reluctant to to enter into systems or put out there. So this allows you to set up an alias for that account number. It could be your mobile phone number. It could be an email address. Uh, In some cases for corporates and SMEs, it could be an identifier for the business. And uh, this therefore makes it much easier uh, for people to initiate a, a payment. Part of the design intent for NPP was overlay services. And the overlay services are capabilities that banks, other third parties, fintechs should be able to build within the network. And I noticed the OSCO service has just gone live. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. You can think of the new payments platform as split into two different layers uh, in its simplest sense. One is called the basic infrastructure. You can think of this as the rails. Those are real-time rails across which the messages travel between the participants of the scheme. Uh, And then overlay services would be the carriages, if you like, that would travel on those rails. 
These are payment services that, in addition to the transfer of the value and information across the network, uh, would add, in some cases, quite simple things in first order payments, just how do you actually access that through, for instance, internet banking uh, or through a mobile app, but actually uh, might uh, extend into second and third order payment areas where, for instance, you might develop a service around uh, buying a car and this would bring in various things around the registration, insurance. There's an initial service uh, called OSCO, uh, which the banks have set up through uh, BPAY. Many people in Australia are familiar with BPAY as uh, the uh, billing or bill payment system. They are introducing three initial services called OSCO 1, 2 and 3. OSCO 1 is now live, which is essentially the the P2P, person-to-person transfer, so the basic credit, uh, single credit transfer. Uh, OSCO 2 will bring in, and sorry, that OSCO 1 has uh, uh, an enhanced amount of data with it, um, around 250 characters, uh, which is a lot more than the traditional 18, but in fact, OSCO 2 will bring in a much broader data field, so much richer data. And then OSCO 3 is uh, actually the kind of return we call it credit pool, or it's more commonly being referred now to a request to pay, uh, where you're pulling a payment rather than um, pushing a payment. So those new services or overlay services uh, have been launched by the, the industry through BPAY, through MPP Australia, uh, and will be the initial services. But the, the concept is that third-party organisations, uh, whether it's with the banks or, or through other parties who become participants are able to provide new payment services that utilize that real-time settlement and real-time flow of information and the enhanced data and of course the simple addressing. The, the third OSCO service is quite interesting, uh, particularly in relation to, uh, to corporates and SMEs. Graham, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, look, I mean, the, the request to pay capability is something we've seen around the world. For example, in Thailand has really driven a huge uptake in the, the volumes and the experience delivered to people who um, participate in a, uh, an e-commerce transaction of some sort, whether it's utility companies or whether it's government departments requesting money from citizens. Um, having that request to pay function changes the game. And I, I personally believe that is the one that we're waiting for in Australia that's really going to unlock some significant value. Yes, I I certainly agree with that. And particularly in relation to the banks, it's an area where one can see uh, the ability for some reasonable fees to be charged for those capabilities, whereas the more simple push payment, P2P payment, is a pretty competitive area. And in fact, in many respects, consumers often uh, expect those sort of services for, for free. So, Mike, let's pivot to open banking. That's coming to Australia, right? Yes, it is. Again, another global trend, particularly we've seen it in Europe, but the government here have now defined dates uh, for uh, open banking, which is embodied in regulation via a consumer data right. So this gives consumers, and consumers can include uh, businesses as well, the right to uh, have their data shared with third parties, providing they authorise that. And what that means that uh, financial institutions and they're the first four majors are the first to have to go live with this in July 2019, when they must make available account information, uh, transaction information, and in fact also product uh, information. That might include fees, rates, uh, and other details associated with the products. So they must make that information available to third parties if those third parties, A, are accredited 
uh, by the uh, authorities within the government and if the owner of that data, the consumer, provides permission for that data to be shared with that third party. And that, as I said, the four banks go live with that in July 2019. Uh, across most accounts other than lending accounts, and then there's a phased approach where lending information, account information will need to be made available uh, around nine months after that. And in addition, other, other financial institutions uh, will also be expected to comply with that within another 12 months. And in fact, what's quite interesting with this is that later this will uh, extend to include utility companies um, and other organisations that the government determines should be covered by this uh, regulation. So quite important, the information is likely to be shared by APIs. Uh, in other words, it's a simple, open way in which that, and standard way in which that information can be shared and there are organizations at the moment working on what those standards should be, uh, how security will be controlled because obviously that information being allowed to be passed to uh, third parties, the security of that uh, data is important and then the third area they're looking at is the uh, consumer experience so there's a kind of standardized open way or minimum way in which that information should be made made, made available so a significant uh, change to the industry landscape yeah look i agree mike and um we have a point of view that the banks in australia need to be thinking about open banking in in three dimensions that uh, the base level it's the comp compliance requirements they all need to be compliant with certain capabilities by a certain point in time, and that's uh, not negotiable. The second level that they need to be thinking about, we call the uh, the defend level, and that's where they need to think about what do they need to get in place to defend their existing franchise uh, from disruption from third parties or other banks when these capabilities are available. And then the third level is what's the attack strategy? How do the banks need to think about using these capabilities to open up new offerings and new services that generate new value. And we've seen good examples of this in Europe already. They went live with open banking back in January of this year, and it's been an incremental ramp up. It hasn't been a big bang, but we have seen some interesting disruptions like the Yolt from ING uh, entry into the UK, also Idea Bank in Poland has created some new business models and value propositions which have been quite interesting. Yes, HSBC Connect is another of those. And, and one of the interesting things for, for banks is uh, th this is not a, a, a one-way street, as it were. Whilst they need to comply to make their data available, so do other organisations. And there's actually nothing stopping a bank being able to access the information of other accounts in other banks. So, you know, we've seen uh, organisations, account aggregation is a, is a classic model from, from open banking where uh, a consumer or business can see in one screen or one dashboard uh, all the information in real time, as I said, being fed through APIs of all their accounts in different uh, financial institutions uh, so they can do comparisons or move funds or see how effective uh, their portfolio is or how liquidity might be sitting in particular accounts. As I said, we've seen some banks decide to, rather than simply comply with the requirement to make their data available, actually turn themselves into marketplaces you know, by combining other information and uh, partnering, with, in some cases, with fintechs to provide uh, specific services running over the top of that uh, information. Essentially did a survey in 2017 in, of banks on how they were going to respond uh, to the open banking initiative uh, in UK and Europe. 
and nearly two-thirds said that they would view it as an opportunity rather than a threat. And we're definitely seeing uh, developments there where uh, a lot of the major banks have started to create opportunities by mark creating marketplaces, by uh, teaming with other banks, teaming with fintechs, etc. So we could expect a similar pattern here in Australia. On the other side of uh, the fence, as it were, um, if we survey consumers, as we've done in in UK and Europe and more recently in Australia, there are some issues associated with their understanding uh, of what open banking means and understandable concerns around trusting their banking data with other parties in their banks. Uh, clearly at the moment they favour banks significantly, uh, although it's fair to say if you drill down into the data that perhaps not surprisingly the younger generations surveyed are more ready to share their data uh, with third parties other than their banks. So we could expect to see that initial reluctance would start to reduce over time. And, and I think it's also probably reasonable to assume that at the moment there's a big understanding gap. You just ask someone, you know, about open banking, they don't really understand what that means. If you say sharing data, well, exactly what do you mean under what criteria, under what protection, under what securities, etc. So there's a lot of information that has to flow out uh, from the government and from banks themselves as to how these services will work, how their data will be protected. And I think then we'll see uh, a growth in use across the uh, whole industry and across all consumers. It's interesting though, Mike, because I think there's a short-term advantage that the banks hold, given that the trust that they have uh, around the data and the perception from consumers yeah. around where that data should be. So um, I don't see there going to be a, a big wave of fintech suddenly jumping on the open bandwagon and creating new things that um, get traction quickly. I think the banks actually have the opportunity to uh, disrupt the industry themselves first, and then it'll gradually evolve from there. Yeah, I, I, I strongly agree with that. I mean, certainly all the evidence from the surveys uh, shows that, that there's a very high degree of trust. And again, looking at uh, what we're seeing in UK and Europe, we can see that banks are jumping onto this fairly quickly and recognising that they need to move and they need to see this as an opportunity and create the marketplaces, the new products, the new services ahead of third parties that might do that and in fact encourage third parties to actually participate with them by that i mean uh, fintechs who might for instance categorization of data is a key service being provided in uk and europe at the moment so yes you've got the data but it doesn't necessarily tell you what that those funds were were being used for so now if you can add categorization to that so this is collaboration that's taking place between uh, fintechs. Um, another area is rules-based. So can you actually create some rules around? So you have the data that might tell you what you're spending it on. You know, in a simple case, it might be if you uh, are on a diet, it might alert you to the fact that you seem to have spent rather a lot of money this week at the pastry shop. Um, and you might set up some rules that notify you of that case. Now, obviously, that's a simple case. One can see some, um, some more interesting cases for that type of service, particularly in corporate uh, SME world. Yeah, and, and Mike, I think another observation out of Europe is that first mover advantage has also been very important in this space. Yes, in fact, talking to our colleagues in, in, in the UK, it, it went live, uh, as you said, at the beginning of this year, and almost immediately 
Yolt, as you said, and HSBC Connect came out with services and, and caught a number of the establishment by surprise. And the last time they looked at this, around a million users of uh, open banking to date. Obviously, that's a, a figure that's growing and moving, but around 700,000 of those were through those two services. So it gives you some idea of how that first mover advantage uh, was, was very significant. Yeah, look, I, th I think you're right, Mike. And it's, it's the combination of the two that I think is going to unlock some really new interesting services and, and value for customers, be they consumer, SME or corporate, as well as um, government departments and the banks themselves who are offering those services. Um, with NPP, obviously, we have real-time value transfer, real-time data transfer out around a particular procurement activity or use case. And that's interesting in itself because you can do some interesting things with that data, be it payment reconciliations, um, automating straight through processing, etc. But when you merge the additional data that you could potentially get through open banking, you can then start looking at, well, I can see transaction histories, I can see account balances, I can see the broader context of that procurement activity, and it's what we now call real-time commerce. Because once you understand the commerce scenario of what's going on, um, either as a supplier or a consumer, you can start to behave a lot more efficiently, whether it's how you manage your liquidity, your treasury functions, uh, your cash flow. Um, you could potentially use some of those um, data points and that bring them together to understand um, a risk position around whether you, you're good for a line of credit for a particular purchase, things like that. And that's where I think it really starts to get quite interesting. Yeah, so we begin to see uh, the, the ability for banks to really start to play into the whole value chain mm. uh, rather than just focused in on the actual transaction itself. And this seems to be a trend that's part of the whole digital uh, transformation, but it looks like open banking and new payments platform are actually real enablers of this. Is that what you're yep, saying? I'd agree. Now, look, it's not going to happen overnight. There's still a lot of work to be done. NPP's still got capabilities they need to build out. Uh, open banking's got at least two years to get everybody on board. But over the next five years, 10 years maybe, this is where we think we're going to see some real game changes. And, and you know, one of the advantages within Accenture is that we, we have a view beyond simply financial services into other verticals in health, government, retail, and yep. actually start to understand some of their needs and how this plays into some of those services that you're talking about there. Again, a deeper integration yep. within the whole of their value chain using these yep. capabilities. Absolutely. Uh, right, I hope that's been some uh, good insights into new payments platform, open banking, and the confluence that we see uh, between the two, leading to uh, new opportunities in real-time commerce. It's an interesting time as many of these things are happening now in Australia, and of course, with Cybos, it's a great opportunity to continue the conversation, and we look forward to uh, seeing you on Booth F50, uh, where not only Graham and myself, but also colleagues from Europe and uh, North America can bring insights from those other markets where these developments are happening. Thank you. Thank you to our guests, Graham Rothwell and Mike Aston, who will be available at the Accenture exhibition at Cybos in Sydney from October 22 to 25. For more details, visit Accenture.com slash Cybos. You've been listening to Embrace Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Accenture.